0: Hello everyone and welcome back to CrankCast. This is season 2, episode 8. I'm your host Tudor and welcome to another podcast. We're going to talk about motorcycles, we're going to talk about what's been happening on CrankIt and we're going to go to the blast from the past section where we basically look at some older bikes that used to be. Now... Um... <sighs> Change it to an iPad this time for my topics. So, we have a few new topics and in their order, they're gonna be, we have a new CRF450 lineup from Honda. Um, Also Honda news, we have a new Grom redesign, which is exciting in my opinion. Honda, Yamaha, KTM and Piaggio join forces um, for creating a swappable battery standard. That should be interesting for the future of EV bikes. Uh, we have a new KTM, so I'm excited about that, because I love KTM. We have a new 2021 KTM 1290 Super Adventure R. Yeah, 1290 Super Adventure R. <laughs> I had a bit of a brain freeze. Um, speaking of adventure bikes, we have a new Harley Davidson Pan America. We finally have some details on the bike, so that should be really exciting. Um, what else do we have here? Yeah, and the interest, the interest in collectible bikes has rise has been on the rise by quite a bit, especially in the UK, Well, and that's because of Covid, so we're going to talk into that one. Now for the blast of the past, we're going to go into a bike that's fairly um, interesting and maybe not known by a lot of people. It's the Aprilia RSV Mille, the Mille R and the SP versions. Um, It was basically Aprilia's first ever big bike, this is why it's so important. But in order to get that one, we're going to have to get through the news section. So that being said, let's jump straight into the news and straight into what matters, and let's talk about the twenty twenty two Honda CRF four fifty lineup. So we have six variants of their four fifty, so from sort of milder dual sports up to like supercross, motocross, enduro racing machines. That's cool and exciting. Um, so it's not an it's not like a big overhaul. Like the case with dirt bikes is that. They usually aren't that big, sort of overhauls from year to year, but still, we have some revamped suspension, we have some ECU tweaks for these bikes. Um, and for example, we have a version called the CRF 450RWE, which just to quote features some high end Yoshimura silencers um, and a Henson clutch basket, and basically, it has some of the fancier components you would expect on a dirt bike. Of course, it comes with a price tag, but. Hey, you can have it in Honda. Um, this is the this is the bike that should provide you with factory levels of performance. So that's exciting. Uh, we have other other uh, versions, of course. We have an RX version, an L, an R, an R-S. Come on Honda, you have your naming like seriously, it's it's getting a bit tough to follow. But um, So basically we have all these models from Endura models from in the R and the RX from the R model which is the enduro model all the way to the L model which is the dual sport model so that's one slightly more tamed but at the same time it's got some slightly longer service intervals and things like that so to make it more dual sport friendly. Um, The 450R and L will be available in May and the others are soon to come afterwards so even if even though this is called the 2022 model it's actually going to be available in May of 2021. I honestly do not understand how manufacturers like name their models how is the 2022 it was built and developed in 2020 it was sold in 2021 how the heck is the 2022 model i don't know but uh, that doesn't really matter so the point is we have a new 450 um so that's cool Let's go into other Honda news because we have another 2022 model that's launching in 2021, and I'm talking about new Honda Grom. Um, they revised it, they finally updated it. Um, the Grom has basically had two incarnations. So there was the original Grom, the one that bootstrapped an entire army of YouTubers, if I can say. It was a really popular bike, and then it came with an update that made it a bit more square, a bit more edgy. That caught on really well, and it actually beat Kawasaki, even though the Kawasaki's Z125 the Pro is technically superior. And now we have a, a sort of a third version on the table. So it features easily removable body panels, um, a lot of customization options. <laughs> so, okay. There's not much that was changed to this one, right? You don't get much more horsepower, you don't get fancier stuff in general. What you do get though, um is a way better customization platform. So, for example, all the body panels are really easy to screw on and off. So, I can already see the aftermarket for this bike going crazy on it, crazy sort of designs, crazy shapes. I mean, with the with the advent of like 3D printing, you can create so much stuff for these little bikes. So, I think these bikes can be a think or a dream. And to be fair, if you were to pick a newer-ish bike, were to learn some mechanics, this is the perfect one. I mean, it's a 125, it's small engine, a simple engine. It's single cylinder, um, so that makes it simpler as well. You can c- customize everything to it. you can make from an adventure grom, okay, maybe adventure grom is a bit much, but you can put knobbies on it if you want, you can make it a um, stunt bike if you want to, you can do so much stuff with a grom, and this, I think it's a, it's a really cool platform for tinkerers, and I think Honda saw this, uh, Honda is definitely on this, and uh, yeah, I think what they've come up with uh, should be fairly interesting, I can't wait to see how it pans out. Third piece of news for today. Um, We have news from Honda, Yamaha, KTM and Piaggio. So these four companies are going to join forces in creating a new standard for swappable batteries. Now, here's the interesting part in this. You have a car, right? Which on a car, if you add a few hundred kilograms for more batteries, it's not the end of the world, right? I mean, sure, it might not handle as well, but it's not the end of the world. On a bike, adding like tens and or hundreds of even kilos, it is a big deal. So the thing is with bikes, it's much easier to simply scale up a battery on a motorcycle, and range is already really limited. I mean, look at the Zero bikes, or even at the Harley live wires, the range is quite limited on these models. And so what KTM, um, Piaggio, Yamaha, and uh, who am I missing? Who am I missing, who am I missing? Honda, yeah. So what these four companies are trying to do is create sort of a swappable battery standard so that you could just ride your bike or electric new bike to like a battery charging station, uh, get the old battery out, let it charge somewhere, grab a new battery from the shelf, put it in your bike and then just ride away. And the fact that all these big four manufacturers are onto this this is a really good sign because that means that we might actually see some adoption if this thing pans out to be feasible. So I, I think that's exciting. And what's exciting is actually, I'm excited about two manufacturers. So first of them is Piaggio, which they are one of the biggest scooter brands, like everywhere. Sure, Yamaha makes scooters, Honda makes scooters, but really Piaggio is the scooter company. If you ask anyone about, the, um, about a scooter, they're probably gonna to say the Piaggio Vespa. So that's exciting because uh, look, scooters are a big market share and this is where I see electric taking off in the beginning with scooters and it sort of has started to do so. And having these big manufacturers jump on board, I think can only be a good thing. But then what I'm also excited is is for KTM. now. Yes, I'm a KTM fanboy, I have two KTM bikes, I, I bleed orange, I love orange bikes in general, um, but it's not really what I'm excited about. Whatever KTM builds, tries to build it in a slightly extreme fashion, right? It tries to be the best at something. Their slogan is ready to race. What's my point of this? So KTM, even if they're smaller bikes, like their RC390s, for example, or the Duke 125s, they're really sporty bikes. The RC390 is a bike that Except the power in the canyons can definitely keep up with something bigger like an R6, for example, when ridden well. So, my point is that this technology will not only be limited to scooters. I don't see KTM getting the scooters anytime soon, so their only interest will be for regular bikes. And so, I'm really excited to see a standard that will work both for small stuff like scooters with Piaggio and with bigger bikes like KTMs. And bigger and more exciting bikes, to be more specific, like KTMs. So, I definitely think this is a good, um, this is a good idea. Um, I'm curious if this will materialize to something concrete, but um, I don't know. I honestly do not know. But I'm curious to see what, what's going to happen. And now, since we started sort of the talk about KTM, let's go into some KTM and Austrian news. So we have a new KTM 1290 Super Adventure R. Yes, it's a long name, and yes, it's actually a fairly cool bike, especially for a big tour. So let's see what do we have in it, so so, 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 so. we have a slightly revised engine, so it's still the same LC8 engine uh, that we had in the old 1290 or the Super Adventure S. Uh, it's pumping out 160 horsepower, which for an adventure bike, what the heck do you need more than that? It's one of the most powerful adventure bikes out there. Um, I think it's better than the GS. Uh, it, it's an amazing engine. So, yeah. Good job, KTM. And now, of course, it is Euro 5. So, basically, every bike that's going to come out from now on, it's going to be Euro 5. But, yeah. You need to tweak it so that it fits the Euro 5 emission standard, which is fine. It is slightly lighter. Now, it's lighter by 1.6 kilograms, which maybe for a sport bike might be something. Um, but... For a large adventure bike, I don't really feel that like you're going to notice just the weight decrease. I mean, you might notice like if, it's, if the center of gravity changes. Yes, you might notice that one, but I genuinely don't think that 1.6 kilos is that big of a difference for you to notice. But hey, we're going to have to see. Um, maybe I'm just talking on my ass. Who knows? But it is lighter, so that's good. Uh, it features a new split radi- radiator setup. Um, so that's cool. Like it has now also the sort of lower hanging gas tanks on the sides. What else? Um, you get the same optional quick shifter from KTM, so they still lock it away from you. Um, oh well, you're just gonna like pony up to get the quick shifter. But then what else? Uh, we also have a new and improved 220 millimeter travel suspension, and that travel is actually front and rear, so it's a new WP, I think this, there's already Explore forks. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, but yeah, 220 mils of travel front and rear, that's plenty good enough. If you don't know what the R version is, this is not really a road touring bike. I mean, okay, it can definitely easily road tour, but the point is this is more a bike made for uh, adventure off-roading, so if you want a sort of big off-road adventure bike, this is the bike for you. And this is why it comes with a 23 liter tank, so you you should have the range. Um, that shouldn't be an issue. You have spoked wheels, which if you ask any adventure rider, you kind of really need. Um, so yeah, you have those spoked wheels. What else do you have? Uh, the steering head was moved back by 15 millimeters. Uh, longer swing mar- swing arm, so there are some sort of ergonomic slight changes. I'm curious how they're going to feel like riding both on the pavement where, realistically speaking, these bikes are going to spend most of their lives, but then also on off-road because, hey, why would you buy an R model if you're not planning on taking it off-road, right? It makes no sense. So yeah, I hope that these will all be taken off-road. Of course, it has all the shiny new tech, so uh, it has stuff like rally mode, uh, all the ABS systems, all the traction control stuff. I mean, you name it, it has it. It's standard for these big sort of adventure bikes to have everything, all the blink in the world. So yeah, this is basically absolutely not different. Uh, And finally for the price, which is, uh, I think, pretty great. So the price for this starts at 18,600 US dollars. Now for this off-roady bike, this is a really good price. It's really competitive. Really competitive. I honestly think it's a great price from KTM. There's actually, in a lot of markets, this was one of the huge selling points for the old 1290 Super Adventure. The fact that you could basically buy this one for way less than a GS, and it was like neck and neck um, on the pavement. It was better in a lot of ways on off-road. It was a really good bike and it was so much cheaper at times than the GS. So a lot of people just prefer to take the KTM because, I mean, hell, it makes sense, right? And they kept the sort of good pricing. I mean, yes, 18,600 US dollars for a base bike. I mean, you probably have to add a quick shifter to that. So let's say 19,000. It's still a lot of money. Yeah, of course. Um, I, I think all my bikes summed up are around that sort of sum of money. But the point is, uh, for what it is, for a brand new big adventure bike, this is not a bad deal. This is not a bad deal at all, actually. But yeah, this was the KTM 1290 Super Duke, uh, Super Duke, Super Adventure R. And we're gonna stay a bit into this sort of adventure field, and we're gonna go to Harley Davidson. Yes, I know, the idea of Harley Davidson and adventure in the same sentence is um, a bit hard for me to grasp, but This bike has been teased a lot during the last, I think, last few years at this point, but we finally have details on it, so I'm talking about the Harley Davidson Pan-America. So, what do we have in this bad boy? Um, We don't have any road tests, really, so we can only really go on specs, but Harley promises a lot. Let's start with the engine, so they promised to be a 150 horsepower twin, of course it's gonna be a twin, but this is a completely new engine, so they did what Basically, all the other manufacturers did to their engine configuration. So now they pump out about 150 horsepower from a, I think it was a 1.0 around a 1.2 or 1.3 liter engine. So really good power output. <laughs> you know, it's actually funny. This might be one of the most powerful bikes that Harley sells, and it's a, a, it's a dead bike, it's a dead adventure bike, and still somehow it's one of the most powerful bikes that they sell, this is amazing. Now, sure, this is still like 10 horsepower shy of the KTM, but... really, it doesn't matter that much, I mean, 10 horsepower at that point, it's like, yeah. Yes, the KTM is more, um, but Harley, it's there, right? it's good, it's good enough, for sure. So the frame is it's a steel tube frame, um, but it has a, a bit of a unique configuration in the sense that all of the sort of main parts of this frame bolt to the engine directly. So they have this engine as a central structural piece. And then to it, you have attached different stuff like the rear swing arm, the subframe, the uh, steering head and things like that. And so what this allows for them to do is to keep its rigidity and stuff, of course, but it allows for the components to be easily swappable. So this way, in theory, if you break, let's say, your um, subframe somehow, you should be able to just replace the subframe and be good with it. So in theory, it's a bit of a more modular chassis, or at least this is what Harley is saying that I have done. I'm really curious in practice how like, useful this is gonna be. Um, I have my doubts, of course, but yeah. This is the new new chassis, basically. Um, it has all of the electronics, of course, like any other big adventure bike. So it has hill-hold assist. It has stuff like a cruise control, a cornering ABS, really fancy traction control, uh, semi-active suspension. These are not things that you can't really get in anything else. Um, but it's nice how they put them there, don't get me wrong, right? It has all the techs, um, all of them techs over there. One electronic thing that's actually cool is adaptive ride height. What does that mean? So this Harley Davidson can basically lower itself when stopped. So imagine this, right, you're a bit of a shorter rider. And to be fair, these big adventure bikes are actually quite tall usually. So they're not the easiest thing to ride by a lot of people. And what Harley did here is that they made a system where whenever the bike gets to a halt, whenever you stop, the bike drops. Right, for a few, I think it was 15 millimeters or something like that. Basically, it, it drops down, so it's easier for you to reach down with your feet, and if, even if you're stopping off-road situation, that's gonna be helpful. But even if you're at the stoplighter, it's way more comfy to be able to have more stability on your feet. This is a pretty cool system, and then the theory is that whenever you, you start rolling again, the bike's gonna go back up, because to be fair, when riding, you don't really need like low ground, cle- um, low, low seat height, Only when really stopped and at low speeds you really find a use in this. I hope you're gonna be able to turn it off for some more sort of extreme adventure off-roading, but I think this is a smart idea, Uh, and it should make big adventure bikes more accessible to a lot of people, I think. What else? Oh, we have the pricing! So the price... The price starts at 19,500 US dollars and this is for the base model. But it can go up to around 22,000 for the special model. Now of course, Harley being Harley, you can definitely option it out for <laughs> way more than that with like, stupid accessories. But f- just for the bike itself, the special model will cost you 22,000 US dollars. Um this is not a small amount of money considering the KTM I just talked about like 2 minutes ago. But also, it's a Harley. I mean, I hate justifying prices just because a brand is a brand, but for a Harley, this is actually not terrible, this is the, one of the most non-Harley Harley bikes out there. And speaking of non-Harley's, harley I'm really curious how this is gonna do, because this, this is an interesting one. Harley is definitely taking a new more, more sort of new-edge direction with this, and I'm, I'm perfectly fine with it, I'm cool with that, but I'm not sure how much the audience... It's cool of that. Like, the adventure population has never been a Harley population. It's been a BMW, KTM population, or older Japanese bikes population. And the Harley riders, this is such a non-Harley type bike that I find it hard to believe that they will accept, they will embrace this new bike. I don't know, I I hope they sell it. I hope it's going to do well. I hope it's going to be a good bike, but... I sorta of had my doubts, uh, because Harley has had a bit of a, of a sloppy track record in the last few years. So I think it's really interesting to see how this will pan out. <laughs> pan out? Pan America? Yeah, see what I did there. It's not a terrible price compared to a BMW GS, but it's more than a KTM. Yeah, this is one of the final notes I wrote here. And yeah, this can basically summarize this bike. And finally for the last piece of news is that interesting collectible bikes climbs because of covid and at least in the uk now i am personally not in the uk but now this is one of the, the it's like a really big market for motorcycles and scooters and i think this really this um trend it's not happening only in the uk like i can feel it in my home country as well so um why why would people be interested in more classic bikes now the first reason that can be kind of obvious right is some people have way more disposable income now, of course, a lot of people have been affected by this pandemic, uh, and some of them quite badly, and I'm sorry for them. But the truth is, a lot of people haven't been affected income-wise. The only way they've been affected is in their capability of spending them. So now people can't go on vacations any longer, people can't spend it on fancy like trips around the world or whatever. So they have to spend it on something. And if they're motorcyclists, they can definitely have some spare income. Uh, and also, these bikes are the poster bikes of a lot of these people, right? People who grew up in the 90s, for example, they these are the poster bikes when they were like 10 to 14 years old. So of course they're gonna want them. Now they can afford them. And they're actually fairly cheap, you know, for for what they are. So yeah, I can definitely see why this is becoming a thing. Plus there were some really unique bikes back then. I I love some bikes. And this proved that some bikes can actually be assets, just like cars. So just like cars, some bikes, some specific bikes, can actually go up in value, or at least retain their value. Which is not the case for most vehicles out there on the road, that's for sure. Um, Speaking of retro, if you go even more into the past, two-strokes are actually really sort of in demand, like mint two-strokes. And I'm not talking about enduro bikes, I'm talking about road going two strokes, like stuff from the, I don't know, 70s, 80s, 90s even, like the Aprilia RS250s and stuff like that. I love it. Um, Yeah, I I really want to get some retro bikes into my garage right now. I don't have any old bikes, like my oldest bike is a 2009, but I really, I would really love the bike that I'm going to talk about in this next section of this podcast. I mean, it's a good segue to go into blast from the past. Yeah, this is how I'm calling it. I need to find some intros on this or or something like that, but <laughs> yeah. So, best for the past, we're basically taking an old motorcycle and dissecting it, uh, seeing what was so cool about it and why you should maybe buy one. In this episode, we're going to talk about the Aprilia RSV Mille R. Mille R. This was a bike made between 1998 and 2003, so it's not really that retro, but at this point, it's getting like 20, but it's about 20 years old, so, uh, yeah, it's not new either, <laughs> that's for sure. This is this is a Aprilia before their V4 era. Now, in the modern days, they're known for their V4, so when you say Aprilia, you basically say V4, but there was a time when we said Aprilia, you only said V2. This is exactly the engine that this bike had, so, this had a 1000cc V2 engine, are about 128 horsepower, but this was not built in house by Aprilia. This was actually built by Rotex. Back in the day, Rotex was, I think, an Austrian company that collaborated a lot with Aprilia. So they did this 1000 V2 engine um, for the RSVs and for the Tunnel, Uh, but they also did something like the um, the 600 engines for the Aprilia Pegaso, for example, which was a sort of lightweight venture bike back then. So they definitely had the collaboration with Rotex, and Rotex actually built this engine. 128 horsepower, not much by modern standards, but hey, it's a V2, it's definitely not a slouch, and it sounds so, so, so good. This bike marked um, a turning point for Aprilia, because this was the first Aprilia big bike. This was the first installment of a proper Liter bike, right? They were mainly doing small bikes before, the RSV Mille was the first one, hey, look, we can do this, right? And actually went racing with it. Um, So they had an SP version, which was a homologation special, only 150 were made, I would love to buy one of those. Yeah, they're really hard to find, though. Um, but yeah, they basically went racing with it, with a fair amount of success. They made multiple versions, so they had their standard version, they had the SP, which is, as I said, the Homologation Special with some fancy stuff, and they also had the R version, which had uh, some like fancy all-in suspension, uh, compared to this um, standard version. Uh, this was a really cool bike i think it looks really cool uh, and, and it still sounds so good and hey 130 horsepower it's it's still no slouch out there on the road so yeah uh if you can buy it get an aprilia rsv Mille r i do totally recommend it but now it's time to go into the final section of this episode because we don't have that much time left only about three or four minutes so we're gonna talk about some crankit updates. What has been happening with the channel? Um, first things first, I want to talk about here is we took one week break from the podcast. I know you probably, if you're <laughs> listening to this podcast, you probably noticed. But yeah, I went on a I went on a bit of a holiday. Um, so yeah, I I literally couldn't do it during this last week. I didn't even have internet like at all where I was. So recording a podcast and and publishing it was definitely out of the equation but we're we're back with fresh forces now, back to making content, and speaking of making content um the k x four fifty r build video was started, so we started to tear apart the bike we started to get like the fairings off and stuff like that um but we had to put the project to a bit of a halt uh and so we had to rethink the first episode uh and I realized actually maybe rethinking is a good idea, so i initially the idea was just dive straight into us building that bike which is maybe not the worst option uh, until you realize that i didn't really give out a plan so the first episode is going to be basically a lay when we're going to lay down the plans on the blackboard over there uh, So i'm going to tell you how we're going to do it with what parts we're gonna do it, what are we gonna change, what are we not gonna change, what are we gonna keep, and then we're gonna go into tearing down the bike, uh, and we find some pretty interesting stuff that, uh, definitely a bit of a fire hazard on the bike, but yeah, uh, should tune in for that one, and another big cranky update, and this is, I mean, it's kind of unfortunate for the channel, but unfortunately we had to leave the garage we were previously renting, um, I'm not gonna go too much into details because I want I want some time to pass between when I talk about it and when it actually happened, so it happened like fairly recently. Uh, but yeah, we finished moving out of there, so currently don't really have a garage, I, I'm looking into one, maybe getting a smaller one, a temporary one until I get, I figure out something like way better and way cooler for Crankit, because I, yes, I do, I know Crankit is like really small at this point. But I want to do so much cool stuff with it um, that I, I don't want to do like small things, you know. I want to go big, and so I, I, I'll be fixing the garage situation. Don't worry, we're gonna to have where to film the rest of the build series. But now the spring is also coming, so we're gonna be able to film outside a lot as well. Uh, a lot of videos. We have definitely some videos that desperately need to be filmed. And um, yeah, this has basically been it. This these are the updates for Crankit. Now, if you enjoyed this video or this podcast, depends on where you're listening to, uh, you can give us a follow on Instagram, that's crank.it. You can give us a follow on TikTok, which is crank underscore it, because yeah, we do post TikToks from time to time. Uh, you can also um, follow us on YouTube yeah, our main channel is called Crankit, uh, this is Crankcast and now if you're listening to this on YouTube note that this is mainly an audio show and it's mainly sorted towards audio listeners so if you want to do that you can listen to us on, base, to us on basically every podcasting platform available speaking of podcasting platforms, if you liked it uh, please give us a 5 star review on like Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this That being said, thanks a lot for watching, I hope you enjoyed the news, I hope you enjoyed the updates and the best from the past section, and uh, yeah, see you next time.